Super Talk Mississippi media production. Specializing in Ford, Nissan, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Rams. CorinthAutoGroup.com and FordOfCorinth.com, where cars and happy drivers meet. Visit us now in person or online with the experience you deserve. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show, the show that celebrates the people who are making Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. I want to thank you for joining us on Super Talk TV. Some people watch the show on YouTube or Facebook or listen to your the show on your favorite podcast. Of course, people are listening on uh, on Super Talk Radio as well. And I want I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, it's a great celebration. It's a great opportunity to learn, man. That's one of the coolest things that, that has come out of this show over the past three years has been the opportunity to have long-form shows where we dive deep into subject matter and deep into leadership and what, how leaders think, both community leaders and CEOs across the state of Mississippi. And uh, we get a chance to really see what makes uh, this this uh, the state tick. We see what it takes, frankly, to make our communities tick because it, it really does take a uh, – a, a large community of people working together to, to create a great place like Mississippi. So, you know, today's conversation, one I've really been looking forward to, I haven't had the opportunity to chat with my friend Austin Golding in a while. He is the CEO of Golding Barge Line up in Vicksburg, but they, they do uh, inland <clears throat> inland transport of uh, in the waterway systems of, of America. Uh, petrochemical products and petrochemicals and other chemical products. And he's in a really good position to sort of understand how's the economy going? What's the, what's the current energy policy causing? Uh, And so on and so on and so on. So we're lucky to have someone like Austin in Mississippi and someone I can touch base with from time to time. So without any further ado, let me welcome my friend Austin Golden back to the Ricky Matthews show. How you doing, Austin? Well, tell me, how's business? Business is good. Uh, we're seeing demand strong. Uh, we've had a uh, pretty good balance between equipment and volume uh, happen. Uh, equipment is still very, very expensive to build, really too expensive to build, like kind of what we operate. And maintenance is a struggle. So we're not seeing a lot of new entries to our business. And uh, right now, demand is very strong uh, along the Gulf Coast and in the central lower Mississippi part of the country for energy products. Yeah, you know it's interesting. There was a there's a there's a real comparison actually to your business and the business that I used to uh, be a CEO in newspaper business. When you think about the kind of um, infrastructure that's required, the printing facilities, et cetera, to print large volume, massive amounts of uh, newspapers, as demand for for printing presses and the things that drive them began to fall dramatically. Uh, made us became an issue. Getting parts was an issue, and you know, finding people who could actually work on the, on the stuff was was an issue. So when you have, I would say that a healthy economic situation for a company like yours is where there is a you know, a lot of manufacturing that continues to happen, and you're and you're buying stuff, and you've got more refinery capacity coming online as opposed to going offline. The fact that we don't have a good energy policy in in America really creates a, a a, a cascading list of, of challenges for you, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it, it's it's certainly something that I think you sign up for. You're 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 
selling a service, you know, and essentially we are trading freight, but we also sell a service. And part of the service is when things happen, how quickly can you address them? And then when you address them, do they keep happening? And uh, we've had a lot of really good partners as far as vendors and, and equipment. Uh, but in Mississippi, uh, you know, you have a very limited amount of, of resource sometimes. And where we travel on the inland waterways, we have a lot of limited resource. So that requires a lot of uh, ingenuity and problem solving that has to happen on the boat. Uh, and, you know, it's not like we're, we're cruising down the interstate where we can pull into an auto body shop or, you know, or something like that. You know, we're cruising down the river that's very hard to access, especially with heavy equipment or a lot of equipment. So, um, you know, it's... The cost of things right now, the economy right now, definitely uh, things that have improved or, or supply chain time, response time, uh, inventory availability, the pricing is still very, 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 very uh, tough to overcome sometimes. So uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to cover, um, and we'll come back and start to break it all down. But for people who haven't heard you and me talk before and don't really know about Golden, um, Golding Barge Line, why don't you talk about this generational family business and sort of where you are today and the kind of work that you do today? Sure. So I'm uh, technically third generation, actually probably generation 1.5 uh, in the business. My grandfather was a investor in the towboat business in Greenville and Vicksburg and the, through the 50s and 60s. Uh, actually ran a shipping company out of Guatemala uh, into the lower Mississippi River in the 50s and early 60s. Uh, came back, uh, got back in the business. My father ran that business uh, from the mid-70s uh, into the early 90s, uh, and we sold that business. That business was towboats and tank barges. So tank barges uh, that push gasoline, diesel, and the things that go to make gasoline diesel after they've been refined. So you have dirty tank barges and clean tank barges. We were all clean. So it's all finished product that's going to a consumer, going towards the blend process. We sold that business uh, and started uh, kind of looking around at what else we could do. And uh, over time, uh, the business just drove us back uh, into it. And the contacts and the expertise we had in it were just too good to not lean into again. And so. We recapitalized and slowly but surely uh, from the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, we're building equipment to lease. And then in 2004, we built our first towboat that we operated ourselves. And since 2004 until now, we've gone from one to 31 towboats. And uh, we have 66 tank barges that each carry 30,000 barrels of gasoline, diesel, uh, naphtha, reformate, raffermate, toluene, benzene, you name it, jet, jet, jet fuel, lab gas. Uh, and so those 66 tank barges and 27 of the towboats move petroleum product. Uh, we have another four boats that push rock. Uh, and I, that customer is a, a, a great Mississippi business, also Warren Paving Company. Uh, Warren Paving has a quarry uh, in Kentucky and a lot of uh, different yards around the southeast of Mississippi where they sell rock in addition to their paving business. And so we're one of their partners that helps facilitate some of their material uh, with part of our fleet. So we're a clean petroleum and rock uh, mover. And uh, really what we're doing is selling a service. You buy my time and I will have my boat and barges available to go wherever you want and load whatever you want as long as it's uh, agreeable to the barge, and we'll take it wherever we can. It's agreeable to the navigable potential of the boat and the barges, which is usually nine feet, uh, nine feet and uh, bridge clearance 
are really the, the first two things we figure out. Are there any bridges that I can't pass? And am I going to have nine foot of water on any, uh, uh, from the surface of the water uh, to navigate through? If I can say yes to both of those, I'll find a way in there. To Most of the time, that's taking rock or raw material into places like that. All of our refinery and terminaling business is in pretty built-out port areas. But I hope that gives everybody a little idea. You know, it's definitely generational. My my dad is uh, in his early 70s um, and still a big part of our business. Um, he uh, he enjoys the less operational parts of it. Uh, he's a financial guru and really has a lot of good experience he coaches us with, but it's our show. And um, so we're really kind of a mix between his experience and my family's experience and a lot of people that are that are younger that are, have a lot of energy. And so we mix experience and energy. Well, you've done a really good job at it. And w- one of the things that uh, from past conversations that I remember well is that you have, um, first of all, the training that's required to do your business is um, it has to be cutting edge because the kind of products that you're moving around are, are dangerous. And, um, and, of course, you're going through the Mississippi River that has all kinds of challenges to it, from current to shallow times to weather conditions to fog. To, then, you're, then you're out in the Mississippi Sound and beyond. And, of course, we've, this time of year we've been lucky. We've been very lucky, actually, so far as it relates to tropical systems. But um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of variables. When you go into your war room and you see the, 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 the boats that you have and where they are in this moment, and the various variables they have to deal with, there's a lot to think about, isn't there? Well, there is. You know, we operate, like you like you detailed, along the Gulf Coast and up the Mississippi. And along the Gulf Coast, you have tidal conditions, wind, uh, and a lot of, you know, you all know the, the, the drill on the coast weather. You know, here in the river, uh, you know, the wind and the weather really doesn't affect you as much, but the, the, the river level goes up and down 50 feet here in Vicksburg. So it would be a lot like you driving down the interstate and you come back in a month and the interstate has a different curve in it or, you know, has a different sway in it or a different hill in it. You don't remember and you got to figure out how to navigate that. And instead of a car, you're driving a thousand feet of barges. Um, and so these guys have a lot of times posting issues on the river that we have to continually add to because they haven't seen it in low water. They haven't seen it in in high water. They haven't seen it in these conditions. But along the Gulf Coast, there's a lot of rules of thumb. We won't run in certain seas. We won't run in certain winds. We have notice on, like this hurricane, we have notice to get out of the way. Um, So there's a little more benchmarking uh, done along the Gulf Coast and a little more in the moment planning done in the river. Uh, But yeah, it's a lot of variable and most of our voyages take days, uh, not hours. And so we're planning for days and weeks worth of uh, instances and things that we got to be a part of. When we come back on the other side and we'll continue our conversation with Austin Golding from Golding Barge Line and talk about last year they had a huge issue with the depth of the Mississippi River. You know, what's the situation now these days? And then we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit more about America's energy policy and the frustrations that creates in the energy business. We'll also talk about Chevron and why, as we've discussed in the past, why it's so critical to America. Uh, When we uh, come back after the break, we'll see you shortly. His passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. 
welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Austin Golding from Golding Barge Line. They're in such a you know they're in, they're, there are certain industries or, or or segments within an industry that tend to be a barometer to what's going on in that industry. And I would say that Austin's company is a great barometer for not just what's happening in Mississippi, but a barometer of what's happening in America as it relates to America's energy policy and the price of of, of crude and the price of of finished products, um, Austin's in a really good position to sort of understand all of that. So that makes him actually a really good person to have a conversation with about how are we doing in America. And we're going to get to that here in just a second. But before we go any further, Austin, I just I wanted to cut, circle back. And, uh, you know, we man, you had fits last year related to the depth of the Mississippi River. How's that going now? Well, it's starting to get low. Uh, you know, we got through August, luckily, with a couple systems that came through early in the year, earlier in August in the month. They pumped up the river levels a little bit. Now we're not getting it. And, uh, you know, I think even any rain we got now would just help hold serve. Um, we need it north of us. We need it really north of Memphis to affect what we need down here. If it rains in Clarksdale, it doesn't help us much. Uh, and so we really need it to, to pick up north of here. We're going to enter a low water situation. We're going to have to cut drafts, but I don't think we're going to have any kind of all-time situation that's all a fire alarm fire. I hope not. Uh, you know, wet weather usually comes when things start cooling off, and we, we certainly hope that's the case, especially north of us, where it's going to cool off faster. Um, but, you know, it's a huge struggle. I'll say this. I mean, the Corps of Engineers does a great job in maintaining the river, and the way they've designed it uh, is to kind of keep the water flowing. So they have a lot of they have straightening they've accomplished. They have a lot of in, in, in water infrastructure that helps push the water down faster. What that does is the water is moving. It doesn't have as much time to drop the dirt out of it. And it also picks up some of the silt from the bottom of that current swift enough. So if you have a bend or a tight spot or the water gets slow, the dirt falls out of the water and it builds up a sandbar. So you got to keep that water moving. And so as long as the water has been down the last two years, the core probably wouldn't admit this to you, but I think they've been able to do a little bit more work than they usually would because of the, the river level being so low. So I think an added benefit has been access to some of the bottom where they're laying a lot of rock and laying a lot of infrastructure to help direct it to be able to scour itself out. Yeah, I wondered about it because, you know, we've had this huge heat dome. They call it the ring of fire in the middle of the United States. And, uh, you know, it's not necessarily critical that rain happen inside where that heat dome is, is located as long as you get some north. You know, the bottom line is you need some water to flow into the um, uh, Mississippi River. And there are a lot of tributaries that flow into the Mississippi River and eventually, you know, into the Gulf of Mexico. And it just it just creates its challenges. Hey, listen. Uh, I came across this. I wish I had. I wish I had captured the artist. I, uh, or excuse me, the writer. Uh, this was something that was uh, that someone posted on social media, and it was a a guy who works on a production platform who wrote this. And I just wanted to. I wanted to read it to you. Um, it's actually long, but I'm going to just read the first paragraph to you. And you can tell me if you've ever heard this before. But he said he holds in his hand 140 milliliters of sample of light Louisiana light sweet crude. I collected it myself from a processor separ process separator aboard the produ a production facility I work at on the Gulf of Mexico. 
It may not seem like much to you, but it really is a very remarkable substance. It's more than 50 million years old, and it came from an oil reservoir that's about 20,000 feet underground. Very soon, it will travel hundreds, if not thousands of miles on its journey to become one of the many products that crude oil is refined to. It has a dark, earthy brown color. It's slightly less viscous than tap water, tastes worse than it smells, and is the lifeblood of the world economy. Believe it or not, not, uh, this sample represents the single most valuable commodity in existence. Without it, nearly every aspect of modern uh, civilization uh, stops immediately. And then he goes on to say that in the U.S., we know about enough product, enough raw material to satisfy our needs for 400 years, and that's what we know about. Um, have you ever heard that before? I've, I have not heard that one specifically, but I've, I've I've listened to several different oil executives go through a very similar uh, process where they explain the fact that what you just described, uh, an oil reservoir thousands of feet underground, then shipped to a refinery and then processed and then put on uh, uh, either an open market for fuel or, or uh, different material product production is all done at less than we can produce a gallon of milk. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, um, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, very hard to compete with, and the density property of it makes it all worth it. Um, you know, I, I think that as a raw material and as an unregulated material, it is pretty damn nasty. Um, <laughs> and you know, you gotta you gotta take some precaution around it. You know, and you gotta you gotta treat it with care. And I'm all about uh, our society finding ways to use it in a cleaner cleaner way and produce it in a cleaner way because it needs to be an option for us moving forward. Hey, listen. I was uh, I was the publisher at the at the Press Register in Mobile, the newspaper there, and president of the Alabama Media Group. So the newspapers in Birmingham and Huntsville, and other other products and digital uh, websites were part of my responsibility. But I hadn't been in Mobile very long when uh, Governor Riley asked me to lead the oil recovery planning efforts for the state of Alabama, which I did. We had over a thousand people involved in it, and we wrote a plan. And um, you know, helping to guide the state as they go forward, spending the BP money, et cetera. But when, during that process, I actually had an opportunity to fly out on a, I guess it was a C-130 with, um, with the Coast Guard and fly over the site out there. And the thing I remember the most, uh, first of all, the, the massive amount of effort that was going on to contain the oil, et cetera. But it was the smell. I mean, we were, we were I don't know thousand or so feet high and and you could still you know the smell of raw uh, oil was was in the air um, just just a massive undertaking but it does you know what I came to appreciate about our efforts here that you know obviously there are going to be moments when it doesn't go well but most of the time it really does go well I mean we, we, we actually get an opportunity to say you know it's really quite a miracle that we didn't have an oil spill after Hurricane Katrina when you consider the amount of damage that happened in the oil in the oil industry during during that storm but the safety record overall has has been pretty darn good and your safety record in particular has been pretty darn good hasn't it it has, but I'll, I'll, I'll say I'm a part of a much larger effort. Um, I just got out of a meeting in D.C. with the Coast Guard where they reviewed our national stats for U.S. inland and U.S. coastal transfers. And within U.S. to U.S. port transfer uh, of all the millions of barrels uh, of oil that's been transferred in the country this year, we, the entire U.S. effort has spilled less than 5,000 gallons. 
Yeah. So, you know, that's a lot of hoses being hooked up. That's a lot of uh, flanges being secured, a lot of gaskets being in the right place to make that happen. And uh, it doesn't happen because the government subsidizes it. It doesn't happen really because people are afraid to get punished. Uh, it happens because our customers demand it and they will pay the people who keep the product where it's supposed to, where it's supposed to be. They will pay those, those companies more than the people that spill it. And the people that spill it don't stay in business very long. So, well, I get it. I, I get that. <clears throat> and what a, <clears throat> excuse me, what a record that is. You know, when you think about <clears throat> the the global nature of pricing and, you know, the, the uh, you and I have talked about this many times on this show, but the average person thinks that energy independence equals we control the cr- price of oil, we control the price of the raw material, et cetera. But it doesn't work that way. Oil plays out on a, on a worldwide global market, and there are so many variables to it. It's just it's almost impossible to cover it in this show. But you do a good job of describing that. So why don't you remind people why energy independence doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to control price? Well, First and foremost, these companies are multinational. They're loyal to their shareholders and their and their inner working only. They have no patriotism associated with any of them. And I don't either. You know, I, I, I think my patriotism lies within our employee base and what we mean to this country as far as an asset. But as far as income uh, goes, these comp- these countries are not going to do a deal that is a loser just because it keeps the product here. And what that translates to in action is the products we make here a lot of times are put back on a ship and sent overseas to be burned or used or sold in other countries or other continents. A lot of times the crude oil that we have here that comes out of the ground here is also sold internationally. Um, and one, one way to think about it is, you know, do you want the revenue for the energy products to be in the U.S.? Yes, you can accomplish that by becoming more in, energy independent where you're still buying it at the same price you would if it came from somewhere else, but you're buying it from somebody who's going to turn around and spend that dollar back in your community, not halfway around the world in a, in a society that you have no, no part of. So if we want the benefit of paying for our energy uh, products to resonate throughout the U.S., that's what you mean when you say we want to become energy independent is we want to keep the revenue of said products in this country, in this part of the world. Uh, but if you have uh, any any uh, disillusion that people have, uh, the oil companies, if they make, if they find the oil here, they're going to refine the, the, the product here, they're going to sell it here? No. They're going to sell it who's going to pay the most for it. So, that, so in that way, when we talk about energy independence, there's a misnomer, and it's a sort of position politically as us against them, and it's just it's just a false narrative at the end of the day. So, hey, when we come back, we'll talk about what's the latest with OPEC. How does Saudi Arabia play into that? What's uh, what's Austin hearing about the the war in Ukraine and Russia and China? That, boy, it's a, we live in an international uh, market for sure as it relates to energy, and we'll talk about what his thoughts are about that when we come back we'll see you after this reminding you why we all love living in mississippi it's the ricky matthew show on super talk 103.1 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Austin Golden. He's been uh, on the show several times. Someone I've really enjoyed getting to know. He's the CEO of Golding uh, Barge Line. Uh, he's lo- located in, in Vicksburg, but does work in inland waterways all over the United States. He's in a really good position to sort of understand what the current situation is as it relates to the the energy situation in America. And before we get back, we're going to come back to OPEC and Russia and all of that stuff, the war in Ukraine and what what, uh, Austin is hearing these days about how it's impacting uh, availability of oil and finished products and and the prices. We'll get to that in a second. But I wanted to ask you about something real quick, and that's simply your family. I've, I've watched you as a friend on Facebook. Um, you got a young family, and and it's it's really cool to watch you in action because you work hard. It must be part of what your family stands for. But you're trying to find that balance between work and family, and clearly, family is important to you. But you seem to be doing well in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that I've had a lot of really good resource to help me there. Um, you know, I I think my dad uh, has struck a great work life balance. Uh, and I've gotten to learn from him, but I've also had a lot of friends here in Mississippi uh, that I've watched and learned uh, that are really, really good businessmen, that are really, really good family men. Um, I can drop a couple names if, if, if you want to that I think some people, your listeners may know. Uh, Wade Linton that has uh, Wade, John Deere, uh, their family is, is really, I've learned a lot from those guys. David Roberts that has the corner market, supermarket uh, chain. I've learned a lot from that guy, that guy, uh, Adam Mitchell. Uh, with Mitchell Distributing, Jason Golden with Golden Metals down there on the on the Gulf Coast, Jason McNeil in, in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. These guys, I have some really good friends that are good business leaders in Mississippi that have really helped me uh, push uh, into the right areas of, of work and life. And they're great. A lot of them are family businesses. A lot of them are Mississippi-rooted, a lot in common. Um, so those, those are just some people that I really look to in Mississippi that some of your listeners may do business with that I think a lot of. Hey, what a what a what a great testament to your leadership to to give a nod to those guys. But it, you know what, man, it, it's if you're if you're not tapping into others that are leading organizations, and in most cases, organizations that are not even like yours, and learning from them, you know, how do they strike the work life balance? How how do they how do they approach the leadership of their organizations? There's a lot to learn from Mississippi businesses, isn't there? There is, and you know, we're we're, we're in Mississippi. Um, we have, uh, of course, everybody knows the the hardships that we have that we have to overcome as business leaders here. But I'll tell you, the the, the underreported things that are good about being in business in Mississippi is that people here are loyal. People here appreciate the fact that they get to do business down the road from their mom or their their childhood friends or their the the situation they grew up in. Um, and traveling from Mississippi to other places is a real treat. Uh, you get to come back from Mississippi to a place that's got a slower pace and more familiarity. You go try out a little faster pace and, and more of a stranger approach and you come back and you think, man, this is a little more personal. This is, I got a little more uh, invested in me here than I would at some other places. So I think your employees and your personal relationships here can run a lot deeper than a big urban area with a lot of a lot of pizzazz. Um, some of that stuff's not as bright and shiny as we think. And sometimes we underappreciate the less material more uh, personal aspects of Mississippi that really 
create such a deep loyalty to the people that are still here, especially the people that are still making a go of it business-wise. I can't agree more, uh, Austin. I talk about it on the show all the time that if there is a secret sauce to to Mississippi, it's the people and what's in the heart and soul of, of Mississippians. And I, I love your point about the pace. That's extremely important. Culturally, we're, uh, you know, a wonderful place. And, uh, you know, it's good to go and get a different perspective. It's good to go and travel to other places and, and you can enjoy being in those other places. Um, I, I've been lucky. I've got three kids. Two of them came back to coastal Mississippi. One's a teacher, one's a lawyer. And, and the third one is in New York City working for Price Waterhouse on the international consulting team. And he loves the big city life. But, you know, he, he wouldn't be able to do what he does here in Mississippi. He, that's where he has to be to do what he does. But but he loves to come home, man. And, he you know, he knows what's special about this place. I don't expect him to ever live here in the <laughs> near future. But, you know, I'm batting, uh, you know, one out of one out of three, unfortunately, didn't make it back. But having two back, the reason they came back is the, uh, the exact reasons that you just, you know, spelled out. That's that's what it's all about. So let's just shift gears. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, OPEC has a, a as a saying thing, Saudi Arabia, it's been interesting watching that. You have this new alliance that's emerging that China and others are, in part, that are a part of. You've got the war in Iraq that's that's uh, ongoing. Um, you know, what's your assessment of all that today? Well, yeah, I, I, I certainly um, have watched some of the political discourse around this and you can understand everybody's concern around the U.S.'s investment and involvement with some of that stuff. I'll tell you from a, a business leader standpoint, um, more than just a personal political standpoint, um, when America leads, uh, our priorities shine through. And uh, if we want the Ukraine and want the rest of the world to respect us and make decisions with respect to the U.S. as a part of it, even if they don't want to say it out loud, we got to be a part of addressing problems. And the politicians and the people that think that the money that we're spending in the Ukraine could be spent here and could help us here, I get it. I hear you loud and clear, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say, as somebody that's part of an international market, uh, the Ukraine uh, is a better place to fight Russia and some of these bad guys than anywhere near, on, near this side of the planet. And we're learning a lot about how modern warfare is fought. We're creating new, new allies and new credibility with how we support them. And less people are going to try to disrupt our economic status around the world and our peaceful status around the world if they know we'll step up to the plate and answer the call when need, need be. Is Ukraine perfect? No. Is Russia all bad? Probably not. But I think what you can be rest assured is that our seat at the table is one that other people want. And Russia probably wants it worse than most people. And if we're going to let them get closer to pushing us out of that seat, uh, somebody's got to answer for it. And it won't be somebody like me that's not afraid to go over there and, and, and support people that are willing to take on that monster on their soil. So as a business leader, I'd rather be involved than not involved because I know our priorities and our respects on the line. 
I, 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 that's exactly where I am, too. And then more recently, we learned that both China and, and especially Russia have been involved in significant misinformation campaigns using social media. So a lot of people, how they feel about the war in Ukraine, you know, I, I would ask them to hit their pause button and think for a second about how much they might have been manipulated based on their social media exposure to these this misinformation and, and try to draw your own conclusion about what the situation is as it relates to to that as it relates to the oil situation i know initially man it was just crazy trying to get your head around all that but how, has that all kind of settled down some uh as it relates to the the, the uh, international oil markets well you know i i, I think um it, it's probably definitely not helped things um but uh, you know as far as uh, the there are enemies and the way that they collude they know that energy is where they can hit you the hardest but no, it really hasn't affected my business directly. I think if anything, it's pushed my customers to look more to this hemisphere for the end user and end source of a lot of our product, which is fine by me. I, I think we're going to have a shift in energy trade to where we're getting less crude from the, from the Middle East and we're sending less finished product towards the Asian continent. I think we're going to send more finished product towards South America. Central America and the emerging part of this hemisphere. We're going to source a lot of our crude from this hemisphere, also, just to not be as exposed to their kind of uh, turmoil that they can they can derail us. And and that's actually your preference anyway, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's that that helps our part of the world uh, become more of an economic engine where we don't we don't depend on people that can be levered against us as much. It's a, it's a it's a tough world we live in, and you know people you know countries picking sides and all the division that comes with that. It creates instability in the markets, and to the extent that you can control that instability and have things that are more certain, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do better as you go forward. When we come back from break on the other side, we're getting close to the end, but I, I have one more question before we get to break. We'll actually differentiate between being energy independent and the need for a really sustainable long-term energy policy, which is where a lot of the problems are right now. We're we're rushing down the road to renewables faster than than we can than we can sustain it, than we can than we can deliver on it, and uh, we'll talk more about that. But um, but for people in coastal Mississippi. The, the Chevron refinery, I often refer to them as a bookend here in coastal Mississippi along with Ingalls. But Chevron refinery is, man, it's strategically important to America, isn't it? It is. It's a monster. Uh, people have no idea the impact Chevron Pasadena has on the rest of the country. It's a very diverse refinery. It's a big refinery from a consumption basis. It employs a ton of people and creates a ton of energy. Uh, you know, it, we all like to vacation along the Gulf Coast. That's where most of that fuel comes from. We're part of uh, bringing a lot of it to that part of the world. Uh, but it is a critical piece of the energy world that is east of New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans, Lake Charles, Houston, Corpus, that's a whole other quarter. New Orleans East, it's all about Chevron Pascagoula. And they, they, it's a huge part of our national economy, a huge part of our Mississippi economy, and uh, something that's very underappreciated in our state. I can tell you, I talk about it every chance I get. Hey, when we come back for the final segment, we'll talk more specifically about America's energy policy and get Austin's ideas about that. We'll see you after this.
now, back to more of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Austin Golding, who is the CEO of Golding Barge Company in Vicksburg. They, they do tons of work on the, uh, U.S. waterways with petrochemical products, etc. And he's in a really good position to sort of be a barometer. When we went to break, he was talking about how strategically important uh, the Chevron refinery is to this part of the United States. That, that cannot be overstated how important that is. In fact, I, I'll get some of my friends from Chevron on f- uh, soon, and we'll talk even more about where what they're doing. They're doing you know capital improvements. They're always doing capital improvements. But the fact that America is not building additional refinery capacity right now, and in fact, as 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 uh, Austin has helped us understand over the past few years, we've actually taken refinery capacity offline when we should be adding capacity. And you're you know when you talk about energy policy in particular, Austin, you, you think about okay, but renewables are clearly part of our future. But wh- how do you how do you move toward renewables and also deal with the reality of we're an oil-based economy around the world for many years to come. We're wanting to rush that. So we're letting the the swift movement of the uh, political pendulums um, try to push things too fast where it's clearly unrealistic. And uh, in your mind, what constitutes an energy policy that allows us to move to renewable but also accepts the reality of, um, of the oil situation we find ourselves in? Well, I think that um, you got to really focus on having these alternatives actually be competitive uh, and not just subsidized. And I think whenever there's a two-way street there, because what we're seeing right now is not only the uh, carbon, carbon alternatives being propped up, but we're seeing the traditional user, users of oil and producers of oil be punished. So you have a two-way approach here where we're going to falsely support the options that are being touted as the newer replacement options. And the old thing that works, not only are we, are we not going to help it, but we're going to hurt it. And uh, people are making decisions based on that every day that are 20 and 30-year decisions. How much money do I put back in this refinery? Do I get the permit to get another tank farm? Do I have the ability to grow a tank barge fleet that moves this around the country into the face of this? And if the answer to all those questions is no, it gets more expensive to move our oil around. And the people that don't like the oil know that. And so if they can punish us and make our services more expensive uh, and more cost prohibitive uh, to accomplish, then they push the price point towards the renewables and that they can beat the renewables financials up by artificially than they can create a more economic uh, option on that end. Well, you tell me if that seems sustainable, because that's the word they like so much. And, you know, I I think what is truly sustainable is creating a competitive environment to where somebody's going to make a decision to buy an electric car because it's a lot less expensive than filling up the tank of gas, and it takes the same amount of time. Now, if that can't be accomplished, I think there are case-by-case bases where we need to be focusing on that they need to be promoted on an individual basis. A perfect example, if you have an electric car and you don't drive a couple hundred miles a day and you go to you go from home to work, you have a charging station at work, uh, that, that is practicality in, 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 its, in its finest form. A, B, charge it both, you know, and have, have it be controlled that way where the time isn't an issue, neither is the cost. But if you're going to try to make me make an electric towboat that costs three times as much as a traditional towboat, 
and I got to do it or I can't stay in business. And I pass that, that cost on to the consumer. Uh, are we changing the world? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I think I think a competitive approach to the options that are being presented drives them to become better options and drives the oil world to continue to be an option. That meaning you got to be better for the environment than you are now. And the, and electric cars and, and EVs and replacement uh, potential, you got to be cheaper and more efficient and easier to use than you are now. You can push us both in those directions at the same time and everybody wins. You don't got to kill me to have them live. And I don't want them to die. So I get it all either. Uh, yeah, it, all, it all goes together. You know, I read a study. In fact, it's actually been about a year ago where the majority of Americans believe that the climate change is part of the conversation. Okay, so let's you know they, they don't deny it. They just they understand incrementally there's something going on. Okay, they they and intuitively they get that. What they don't get, and what we're not doing a good job at, is understanding how an incremental change in some policy, whether it be energy policy or something else, how it's going to affect my life. You know, they, they don't they want to understand the incremental changes that they're being forced to make, either paying more for gasoline or whatever it might be. And and what's the result of me doing that? See, we're not we're not we're not we're not making those things very clear. What we're trying to do is just rush to an end. And 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 in the process of getting there, you you're making you're making all companies and anyone associated with oil companies, the boogeyman. And then on the other side, as you pointed out, you're having to prop all those other guys up because we, we don't have the capacity to get there now. So what, right. what we need is a is a long-term 15 or 20-year plan. And the problem is when we're changing presidents out every four years, it's going to be kind of hard to get there. But final word on that before we have to end the day. No, I, I think sometimes uh, a lot of the, a lot of the approach is is not as not as a voter uh, not as appealing to the voter as outrage or, yeah. or five alarm fire. It's the slow approach. Selling a twenty year plan, Ricky, going to be tough when you're trying to get somebody to vote in November. I get it, man. I get so, it. But that's what we need. I mean, if I were running a company, no that's what I'd do. Hey, listen, I hear you. That's going, plan. Yeah, it's been a great uh, opportunity to catch up with you, my friend. Uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you. This has been Alden, Austin Golding from Golding uh, Barge Line, our company. We'll see you uh, tomorrow. Have a great day. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.